The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Joshua Friedman. We're really lucky to have him as a guest today because Joshua is a leading thinker, researcher, and writer on emotional intelligence and one of a handful of experts who has really helped establish this field. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise, glad to have you here. Now, this is the first in our series that's going to be focusing on emotional intelligence, um, working with your emotions, working with somebody else's emotions, being able to understand them and to use them to guide behavior and thinking. I know from my work that this is critical to success in just about every single area of management. For example, I find that it's extremely difficult to give feedback when you're not particularly emotionally intelligent or using EQ for short. But Josh, let me start with you. And I'd like to get from the expert point of view, what is emotional intelligence in your world and why should it matter? Wanda, I thought your definition was very good. I mean, we basically say it's being smarter with feelings. We all have feelings. Emotions are part of the basic human biology. And we can pretend that we don't. We can try to leave them out, but we all know that doesn't actually work. And so we can either, you know, sort of be idiotic with our emotions or we can be smarter with our emotions. And emotional intelligence is a a set of skills that lets us tune into uh, the data that is emotion and to use that information and to use that energy to help us make better decisions, to help us work better with others. Uh, I think it might be useful to think about mathematical intelligence for comparison. So, okay. you know, you've got some accountant, let's say, who's, you know, and she's brilliant at math. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know, she can tune in and she can, she can look at that spreadsheet and go, wow, Wanda, you got an error right here. Like, you know, right? She can see things really quickly. Have you ever had one of those accountants? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and she could solve problems, right? She could say, oh, look. If we just change this, we can fix this. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. And I hear that said about CFOs all the time, that they're just more skilled with numbers than anybody else. They can look at a spreadsheet. They see where the errors, the problems, the analysis faster than somebody who's been working on it for three months is going to actually see. So I get your sense of the skill with the numbers. No question. So they're like tuning into that data really accurately, really quickly. Uh, this, the, you know, the wonderful CFO can do that. Well, somebody who's really emotionally intelligent can do that with emotional data. They can tune in. They go, okay, I know what's happening here. I know what this is. I know what this means in me, in others. 
And then we use intelligence to solve problems. We use you know, mathematical and uh, financial intelligence to solve financial puzzles. Uh, and we use emotional intelligence to solve emotional puzzles. And as leaders, uh, most of our day is spent solving emotional puzzles. You know, how to engage this person, how to get this project to work better, how to uh, position this or understand this or enroll people in that. Those are, there's an emotional component to all of that. So from giving feedback to selling to communicating to uh, getting people on board to creating alignment, uh, all of that involves an emotional component. And, you know, if we can develop these skills, that would really help us with all of those challenges. So in short, you're saying that as human beings, we all have emotions and a lot more than we might like to recognize in any given moment, in any given day, that there's data in that emotion to get humans to do something, and you're just going to be more effective if you can better tune into that data. Is that a reasonable summary? I like it. Okay, now I talk to people all the time who say they want to use rational argument to persuade. They want to have facts and figures and logic and analysis and critical thinking, and that they think that is the better way to make a decision. Yeah. What's your response to that? I love that idea, except it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, I grew up in a very rational family. I really like you know rational data. Uh, in some ways, I think that you know life would be easier if it wasn't muddied by all this confusing confusing emotion. But it is, and we are not just rational. Uh, and you can look at uh, this at a behavioral level and at a neuroscience level. At a behavioral level, you, know, you walk uh, into a store and you see this big sign that says, Smoking Kills, and you see somebody walk up and buy a pack of cigarettes. You know, we're obviously not just rational, or, or nobody would be buying the cigarettes. You know, I know that salads are better for me than pasta, and yet... You know, the other day I was in some Silicon Valley company at the wonderful free lunch and uh, walked up and I got pasta <laughs> despite knowing the salad's better for me. You know, it's not, there's something else going on here. And when we look at the neuroscience, what we see is that actually uh, emotion is the most powerful channel of information in the human brain. It's more powerful than all of the other information processing channels combined because emotion is connected with survival. And we actually make decisions based on emotion, and then we rationalize and we say, okay, here's why, here's, here's why I'm making that decision. Great. So can you say more about why we know that emotions are a more powerful channel than rational? Yeah, when you look at, uh, I mean, there are a number of studies that look at how people process information and what uh, gives precedent in the brain. And you can actually do a functional MRI study where you are watching people making decisions, and you can see which parts of the brain are, are active and how much activity they have to understand how decisions are made almost in real time in the brain. And even something like looking at a spreadsheet, uh, it's not purely rational. There's an emotional component, and emotion seems to help regulate our attention and help us identify opportunities and threats, and our brains are constantly doing that. And the, you know, what studies have shown is that the um, emotion signal takes precedence in the brain over uh, a numerical signal or a sensory signal or uh, any uh, other kind of data that's being processed in the brain be- 
because, again, emotions are connected with survival. All right, so if I kind of capture all of this in one summary, let me see if I get this straight from your point of view, that emotional intelligence is just having a skill set to tune into the emotional data, that as human beings, we have emotions, and emotions are probably more powerful drivers of our decision-making than we ever recognize in the first place. Certainly, the emotions drive our attention where opportunity or threat in a very powerful way. And the more skillful we turn into the emotions, the more effective we're going to be in a whole host of things. Yeah. And let me give you a little tiny study that was done about this emotions and, and uh, paying attention. What they found is that when they had induced different moods in people, then they uh, showed them a scenario. Um, the people noticed different things in the scenario. And what they tended to notice in the scenario were things that matched the induced mood. So just in you know, sort of general terms, if you're feeling happy and you're walking down the street, you notice certain things. Uh, if you're feeling sad and you're walking down that same street, uh, you notice different things. So our, our present mood becomes a filter, uh, which it, it doesn't determine, but it strongly influences what we pay attention to. And it, pays, it filters what we remember and, and how we process information. So it's like this pair of glasses that we're, we're looking at everything through those glasses. And if we're not aware of our own emotion and we're, we're uh, kidding ourselves that we're just rational, we're missing this huge amount of data about, about what's really happening and how we are doing the evaluation of the rational information. So, you know... I've known this one from a series of research and from my own practice that when people are in a really negative mood, they see everything in very generalized negative terms. And the research, Barbara Fredrickson and others would also say that when I'm in a positive mood, I tend to see things in a much more positive light. And you're just underscoring how powerful the mood is for directing attention. Yeah. So, Josh, how did you get started in this field? Well, I was a teacher in a school where... Emotional intelligence was a key element, and Daniel Goleman came and visited the school when he was writing his 1995 book. And he wrote about uh, our process in the school as one of the models of how you teach emotional intelligence. And a lot of people started calling us after uh, the book came out in 95, saying, you know, we loved this idea of emotional intelligence, but how do you actually use it? So in 97, we decided to start an organization to, to focus on showing people how you actually use emotional intelligence and how you can teach it and develop it in others. And much to my surprise, really, um, we started right away getting people, first of all, from all over the world, but second of all, from every sector, people from armies and people from unions and people from manufacturing and tech companies and hospitalities and universities, as well as K-12 education, saying, well, we really need to teach this. And so over the last 18 years, I've gotten to uh, work on every inhabited continent and work with people uh, from so many different sectors and have uh, gotten to learn from them um, how to talk about this in, in these different places in the world. Um, one of the interesting examples was we did an 18-month project with the U.S. Marine Corps and U.S. Navy. And, you know, they talk about emotional intelligence all the time. They just don't call it that. And helping them understand that you know these principles of you know the, the current neuroscience 
match some very important um, guidelines of how they operate, help them tune into that and to use that to be more effective, in this case, uh, at a big change management project they were doing. Wow. I know for a lot of people, the belief is that the U.S. military and other militaries around the world are not interested in emotions, that they're a much more rational, physical kind of prowess. Um, my experience with the U.S. military is the exact opposite, that they will take anything that makes them more effective in leading a group of people to the outcome. And so you're finding the same thing. Even they're interested in emotional intelligence. They were very interested. And I was really impressed by the level of emotional intelligence that I saw. I was working with officers, uh, but the level of emotional intelligence that I saw was was really impressive. They're tuned in to... Uh, what makes themselves and others work, and they know that's a key part of leadership. And we've worked with every branch of the U.S. military and, and many other militaries around the world, by the way. And uh, I found that's generally true. Like you said, that they understand that warriors are uh, people first, and that if they don't uh, understand and work with the human element of, 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 of that, they're not going to be effective commanders. Interesting. And so work with a human first. Boy, could we use that in some corporate life for sure. I love that. They were people first and work with that human element. All right. So now there's a lot of mythology also about the differences between men and women um, in emotional intelligence. And the common mythology is that women are better at emotional intelligence than men. I don't happen to find that's true in my practice. But what's your experience in men and women? Well, so there were several studies showing women had a very slight edge on emotional intelligence, and I thought maybe that you know, was true. But then we did a very large analysis. The first time a big data approach has been used to analyze emotional intelligence around the world, did a random sampling methodology to create a balanced sample based on age, gender, regions of the world, and then we did some comparisons. And what we found is that there are a number of areas where women are higher in emotional intelligence. But actually, uh, in terms of just total EQ, Mr. Average is just a tiny bit higher. Maybe more interestingly, though, uh, Ms. Average's two strengths are Mr. Average's two weaknesses. Uh, it was like a mirror image profile that we found between uh, the Ms. Average and Mr. Average in, in terms of their EQ competencies. And what are those two strengths for women? So the... First one, you know, maybe not uh, such a surprise. It's uh, empathy. And uh, women, Ms. Average, and, you know, again, when we're talking about statistics and we're talking about averages, uh, they're large, we're talking about large numbers of people. Right. And individual results will be different, you know, and, and the overlap is much bigger than the difference. So with that caveat, um, one of Ms. Average's top strengths is uh, empathy. She's more able to tune into and understand others' emotions. And this is one of Mr. Average's weaknesses. And this isn't a huge gap. I mean, we're talking about, you know, like one percentage, one, two percentage points of difference. Uh, but it is uh, a really a, 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 a difference. Okay. The other big difference is um, something that we call apply consequential thinking. And this is uh, actually a very large difference in terms of this sample. This is oh, almost three percentage points different. Ms. Average is um, quite a lot stronger at uh, being able to pause and predict the emotional impact 
where Mr. Average is, that's one of his weakest uh, areas. And, um, it's, sorry, it is his, Mr. Average is, it is his weakest area. And he's much more likely to step forward without pausing to think, without pausing to consider the emotional impact on him and others. So what that means is that Ms. Average, if you're doing scenario planning, if you're doing um, a marketing plan, if you're doing a communication plan, if you're in a meeting trying to decide on a strategy and Ms. Average sits in the meeting and says, oh, wait a minute, guys, this is not going to go the way we want it to. This is going to have a negative impact. Uh, Mr. Average, you better just pay attention right then because she probably knows something that you don't. And it's going to make her more effective at uh, evaluating a decision before it's made. Fascinating. And are there things that men are better at than women? Yeah, so the biggest one, it's, it's a, almost a cliche, the biggest one is one we call navigating emotions. And men are, cons- Mr. Average is considerably stronger than Ms. Average uh, in this. And navigating emotions, it's a little different than managing emotions. Navigating is about harnessing emotion and using it to move you forward. Uh, but it has a similar concept of managing emotions, which is let's not get stuck in what we're feeling Let's not, you know, just sort of spill the emotion all over the table like a cup of coffee, but let's harness it and, and move with it. And uh, Ms. Average is uh, quite a bit lower than this, in, in this than Mr. Average. And I think that sometimes, you know, men uh, are critical of women for being overly emotional, and I think this is why that Mr. Average is better at kind of containing and harnessing the emotion uh, than Ms. Average. It's interesting. One of the things that I find in working with women versus working with men in the corporate world is that women often do get criticized for being overly emotional. But I find that has much more to do with the volume of words she uses around the emotion rather than with having the emotion in the first place. So what you're saying is exactly the same, that men much prefer to move on. I've got it. I understand it. Let's move. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and the process style might be different. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break at this point. Fascinating discussion. With me today is Josh Friedman, who is a leading thinker and researcher on emotional intelligence, the ability to tune in to the emotional data that's present and use that to solve problems. We've been talking about what this means, how you use it, why it matters, and some differences between men and women. When we come back, I want to turn to how do you get better at being more emotionally intelligent. So we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Biz Locker Radio is a high-energy business show that features compelling conversations and cutting-edge business content that you can use to improve your performance today. 
hosted by Kelly Riggs and presented by the Business Locker Room. Biz Locker Radio features dynamic thought leaders from sales, marketing, leadership, business strategy, social media, and more. If you're in business, you need an edge. Develop that edge with Biz Locker Radio. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, and 3 p.m. Central on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information, visit bizlockerradio.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone, To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Josh Friedman. Josh is a leading thinker, writer, and researcher on emotional intelligence who's been at this game for an incredibly long time. We've been talking about emotional intelligence as the ability, the skill to tune into the emotional data and to use that emotional data to do things that need to be done to make decisions, move actions forward, and so forth. All right, now, Josh, you mentioned in the last segment about the U.S. military um, being focus on the human first and then taking the human as a whole being, emotions being part of that and recognizing the power of doing that. I have to say from my own experience, um, when I find, particularly with men coaching women within an organization, that the men who are at the best at this have the ability to take her as a whole package or him for that matter and they get to see the entire person the emotional health and well-being and biases and preferences, as well as the skill, the other skills that come to bear. Do you have similar experiences with companies? Yeah, you know, this reminds me of a, a study that we did where we asked people um, on our 360, there's a question about what does this person do well that he or she should continue to do? And we took the highest performers and we looked at what it was that those you know, people said about these highest performers. What did supervisors say? What did peers say? And what did subordinates say? And what you're talking about of recognizing me as a person was absolutely critical. Uh, there was another in the highest performers, something that stood out was uh, the idea of facilitating performance, making space to allow me as a person and us as a team to do our work. Uh, you know, the piece you mentioned about the, the military attitude about, you know, warriors or people, we have been doing a big project uh, for years with FedEx, and we have a case study on our website about, about this. At FedEx, they have a principle called people-first leadership. And uh, the senior person in HR there said, hey, guys, we need to do a better job training our, our, our new managers on what people-first leadership means. And that got them interested in emotional intelligence. And one of the things that's great about this project is, you know, FedEx is consistently one of the best places to work. It's a high-performing company. They're looking at investing in the future and saying, how do we create the capabilities that we need going forward? And so they they decided to put emotional intelligence in place as a tool set for people-first leadership. 
And what you described, Wanda, about somebody who sees this whole person and says, look, you're a person first, and my job as a leader is to pay attention to you and to facilitate the conditions for you to do your best. Uh, that, you know, that's what came across in this, in this FedEx case and in this research about we call talking about great leaders and, and what makes great leaders stand out. Facilitate the conditions for you to do your best. Um, an awful lot of managers and leaders that I talk to have a sense, too many of them in fact, have a sense that I should do the same thing for everybody. But what you're fundamentally saying here is, no, it's not the same thing for everybody. It's very tailored to what's going to make you as an individual more effective. Yeah. All right. So, Josh, how do we get better at this? You, you know, you've done this with FedEx and a host of other companies and places. So what do we have to do to improve our emotional intelligence? Well, what I would say, this thing we've just been talking about is the first piece, which is recognizing that people are not just rational and you are not just rational and there's more to the story that, 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 that's going on here to pay attention to. And so once somebody has kind of crossed that chasm of saying, all right, actually emotions matter. It's, this isn't something that's kind of interfering with my work or, or distracting me from my work. This is my work. As a leader, my job is people. And that includes emotion. And once we get to that step, we can really go far. But that's, I think that's the first hurdle, is seeing the value of this and acknowledging that that's critical to performance. Okay. All right. So, and I can imagine a host of ways of showing people why the emotions are part of what's going to help you drive performance in every sense. Then what's next? So we have a process that we've developed, and as I said, when we started, uh, came out of this um, uh, school where we were, and um, years of experience of teaching these skills, and uh, what we were interested in is not so much you know, the theory of emotional intelligence, but the how-to. And so we developed a really simple process. It's three steps, and it's something we can all learn uh, quite easily, and uh, then we just need to keep repeating it. And the three steps are, uh, first, to be more aware, so we tune into the data. The second is to pause and respond intentionally instead of reacting unconsciously. Uh, so step one, uh, be more aware. Step two, be more intentional. And then step three is to consider purpose. What's my purpose? What are, what's going on for other people? How do I enroll them in that purpose? And of the options that I have, which are going to align with that purpose? And uh, then go back to being more aware. And we, we put this in a circle, and we call it know yourself, choose yourself, give yourself. Know yourself is about tuning into the data. Choose yourself is about being intentional and responding instead of reacting. And give yourself is about being more purposeful, giving yourself this opportunity to move toward purpose in every moment of your interaction. So know yourself, choose yourself, give yourself. So I like that sense that there's being tuned into the data, there is being responding intentionally, not accidentally, and then understanding both your purpose and your other's purpose. And presumably all three of those are where apply to your own emotions as well as to somebody else's emotions. Yeah, and we say know yourself, choose yourself, give yourself, because all we really get to control is ourselves. You know, and the way we influence others is by knowing, choosing, and giving ourselves. 
The way we manage others is by knowing, choosing, and giving ourselves. The way we get others to change is by changing ourselves. And we are, one of our books is called Inside Change. And I'll just save you 20 bucks and tell you the message of the book is the title. If you want change to happen, you change. And so often people come uh, to me saying, look, you know, I, I want to learn about emotional intelligence because I want this person to change. I want this person to respond differently. I want my employees to be more uh, responsive. I want my salespeople to be more proactive. I want my wife to do X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever. I want my mother-in-law to stop harping on me. And they're like, okay, no problem. You can do all of those things, but the way you're going to do it is by changing yourself. You want your employees to be more proactive? Probably you have to be more proactive. Probably you have to change your patterns of reaction so that you facilitate the conditions for them to do what it is you want them to do. And if you're not willing to change, they're probably not going to change. I have two comments on this one. One is every time somebody asks for my advice about a change management process, I say the worst thing you can do as a leader is believe that you hold steady and the organization changes around you. That is a true state of affairs way more times than we'd like to admit. And the second thing is in my coaching, I always say to people that any time you are acting in a way to get someone else to change, you are in the wrong. So in effect, you're saying it's the same thing. You want change, you start by changing yourself. And haven't you often seen with particularly senior leaders when 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 they come to you for coaching or when you're working with them, what they say is, you know, there's a problem over there. It's yeah. so much easier to, to look at the external. And I think it's one reason why people are a little bit afraid of and uncomfortable with this kind of work. Is they, it's so much easier to kind of look at the behavior of somebody else and say, you know, that's wrong. That, that needs to change. Want to go fix them. <laughs> yeah. And taking that internally and saying, okay, well, what's my responsibility in this? That's hard work. Yeah. I also find people attribute attribute intention to the other person and usually do that very badly. In my experience, the first intention you ascribe to somebody else is 99.99% wrong. Yeah. Um, There's a song that goes something like, everybody has a story that would break your heart if you let it. uh, the The way I think about it is there's always more to the story. Yeah. And in every person, every interaction, I, I try, and I don't always succeed, but I try to be curious about what, what's the part of the story I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. And for me, this has been a huge change. As a CEO now uh, for quite a few years, I, I, I didn't, I, I think like a lot of uh, your clients and my clients, I didn't set out and say, I want to be a leader of people. It just sort of happened over time because I was competent at other things. And now I find myself in this position of leading this organization with people around the world, and uh, I didn't ever get trained in how to lead people. I, I fortunately learned something about emotional intelligence along the way. But you know, my major strategy is when things aren't going the way I want them to go, uh, I start by well, often I start by reacting badly, and then I, you know, calm myself down. And then I say, huh, I wonder what is going on here that I'm not seeing. I wonder, wonder what's not obvious to me. I wonder what's not visible. 
That's great. Boy, would that change how we led if we did that on a regular basis, what's not visible. Um, I started the show talking about feedback and the importance of emotional intelligence and the feedback. The reason I say that is because in order to get somebody else's behavior to shift, you have to hear what I see as the understory, the part that isn't visible to you at this moment. It's often the key to getting that other person to understand what they need to do differently. We just, so, did a big, uh, we just did a big project with Intel, and we were focused on feedback. Uh, they're an uh, organizational culture that really believes in feedback, but this, this emotional intelligence part of it has, is kind of new to them. And we taught them a process that we call I to we, which is, um, you know, I see this, and I'm concerned about this. I'm not satisfied with this. And uh, we start by, you know, owning our own observation, our own feelings. Not saying, hey, Wanda, you're doing this wrong. But, Wanda, I'm not satisfied with this. I'm concerned about this. I don't feel good about the way this is going. And then to shift to the we. Is this something we can work on together? And it is such a simple idea. It's, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Aikido, but I, I studied Aikido when I was a teenager. And in Aikido, you're... You're always moving to stand next to your opponent. And I thought about that in terms of feedback. You know, how do we stand next to the person instead of uh, across from them? That's an incredibly powerful shift. It is an incredibly powerful shift, and it's often what is required if you, as a manager, you're going to coach somebody, that you have to be able to stand side by, I often described it as you stand side by side, look in the mirror with the person. You may help hold up the mirror, but you're looking with them. Um, yeah. as opposed to standing on the other opposite side and being the mirror for them. Okay, no, let me come back problem. to your, your initial statement that the process is to become aware, yeah. to respond with intention and purpose, and then, uh, sorry, re- respond with intention, and then to consider the purpose, yours and others. Are there other competencies we need to develop to be better at those three things? Yeah, there are, we have a set of eight measurable, learnable competencies that uh, underpin these three pursuits. And you know, if, if you think about this first question, uh, being more aware, and if you said to me 20 years ago, Josh, how are you feeling? I, I don't know that I would have really been able to answer the question very well. You know, I might have just said, okay, <laughs> we're pretty good. This is a fun conversation. I don't know. Like, I, I had a very generalized idea of, of emotion. And so one of the skills for uh, that awareness we call enhancing emotional literacy. It's about tuning into the data of emotion. And then recognizing patterns is another skill, which is about noticing the recurring behaviors. So those two competencies, they're learnable competencies that we can apply in all kinds of different ways. But when we uh, develop those competencies, we get better at answering the question, hey, what's happening? (laughs) What's going on here? Uh, And we have skills that allow us to see more clearly and be more aware. So again, I get the sense that this is absolutely, completely learnable. All right, so enhancing emotional literacy, I just want to focus on that one for a moment. Do you define for people a, a limited set of emotions, or are you of the school that there's a lot of different emotions? Well, let me just say first, we have study after study to show this is learnable. And if people want to go look on sixseconds.org and, and search for uh, research, we have a lot of different studies that show, you know, with FedEx, for example, uh, 
increasing these skills with IT managers, with students, with teachers, with parents. These are learnable skills. Okay, so then uh, I think that there are two ways to think about emotions. One is the kind of research way, and the other is the experiential way. And so from the research way, I use the Pluchik model of emotions. There are eight basic emotions, and those emotions combine into thousands of different feelings. And the, the notion here is that an emotion is an automatic visceral response to stimulus. It's a chemical reaction. And then those chemicals start to saturate our brain and body, and we start to make meaning of them. We start to sense them. We start to think about them. And then they turn into something we could call a feeling. And so that feeling has, uh, is sort of the second stage after the emotion, the emotion chemical starts pouring through our bloodstream, goes through our pituitary gland into our bloodstream. Every living cell in our body is affected by these chemicals. And by the way, these chemicals last for about six seconds, which is why our organization is called Six Seconds. And then uh, they, we start to internalize that, and we literally feel them. We feel it as a physical sensation, and they start affecting the way we're acting and the way that we're thinking. And then we could call it a feeling. And then over time, we have a bunch of them, and we generalize that, and we could call that a mood. Great. All right. Uh, fabulous. So just for the quick record, briefly, what are the eight basic emotions? <laughs> so there is uh, um, joy and uh-huh. sorrow. And I'm kind of giving you them in opposite pairs. And in this particular model, the Plutrick model, they're organized as opposites of each other. I don't think they're... I don't know that that's true in our experience, um, I actually think they're much closer than things that are opposites, but they have an opposite physiological response. So uh, joy and sorrow are, are one pair. Anticipation and surprise are another pair. So looking ahead and kind of planning ahead and then being, wait, what happened? Uh, are another pair. And then anger and fear are, uh, in the Plutchik model, another pair of opposites. Anger causes us to move forward and attack. Fear causes us to go away and retreat. And then the last pair, which I think is so interesting, particularly in the business context, is trust and disgust. And trust causes us to step closer and embrace and take risks. And disgust causes us to reject and move away. If you think about a, uh, employee engagement uh, in those terms, you say, wow, boredom and loathing, which are connected with disgust, uh, are disengagement the emotions of, emotional, of, of employee disengagement, and then admiration and acceptance and trust on the opposite side of this model are the emotions that drive employee engagement. Well, you can certainly, and just in thinking about that list, I find it easy to simplify them, to give people a basic language, to know how to think about the emotions or talk about the emotions. Um, and you can see on that list how powerful that can be in a corporation in terms of bringing people along with you, in terms of persuasion, in terms of motivation, in terms of inspiration, all the stuff that we look at for our leaders to do. In our, right, in our vital signs model, which is our measure of organizational vitality, and we measure how people are connected in an organization and how uh, much... Um, liveliness there is in the organization through this vitality model. And trust is at the center of the model. And what's interesting about this is this is an empirical model. It wasn't our theory. 
based on 10 years of asking in organizations questions about performance. And then what we found is that at the center of performance in organizations is trust. Boy, it's that a strong statement. I'm going to have to have you come back, Josh, and have another session on trust, just as an issue all of it by itself. We're going to take a break right at this moment. With me today is Josh Friedman, um, who's an expert in emotional intelligence, and we have been talking about how do you improve, get smarter about the emotional data that's present when you're dealing with human beings. A three-step process, aware of the data, a pause and respond with intentionality, and three is consider your purpose all of which leads to their very clear competencies, eight, in fact, that help you improve those particular components. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about a particular case um, and get Josh's reaction to that case and what you would do if you were that individual. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Josh Friedman. We've been talking about emotional intelligence. Josh is a leading researcher, thinker, writer in emotional intelligence who's been doing this for a very long time. We've been talking about um, emotional intelligence as the ability to tune in to the data that's present in all human beings and all human interactions around emotions, to be able to take that whole package as a package and take advantage of it to drive things forward the way you want to drive forward. And we've been talking about the fact that it's an absolutely learnable skill. There is a process to become better at emotional intelligence um, that is easily learned without any questions. 
Now, what I want to do at this moment is I want to take a case that I have been currently dealing with. I have to say I could have this case in about 75 different times in any given year, but let me just take this particular case. It happens to be a woman. I will say that she is very competent. She's a very highly skilled. She's been in her role for a bunch of years, and she's an incredibly top performer on her team without exception. And part of that comes because she's been doing this role or variations in this role for a very, very longer time. She has a lot of younger people around her as colleagues and team members, not reporting to her, but as her peers, who are frankly a little bit naive and a little bit less experienced. And what happens is that she just gets incredibly frustrated with the team, impatient with them. Time is money, and she knows that what they're trying to do or the way they're proposing a solution is flat out not going to work. And I will say 99.9% of the time, she is absolutely correct. It isn't going to work. The problem, though, is that the way she deals with the team gets in the way. They resent it. They don't like it. They um, feel pushed around, they feel that she's talking down to them, that she's not open. There's just a whole range of emotional reactions they have to her. Now, this is ultimately going to affect her ability to take the larger job because if she can't persuade these younger people that they want to follow her, then it limits her career moves. So if you were working with her, Josh, what would you have her do? Well, first, I, I just want to echo what you said. I just hear this so often that you know we have a highly competent person, uh, and they've been promoted based on their competence, and they've probably been told, you know, wow, you're so competent, you're so good, and then they uh, find themselves in a position where their responsibility isn't just doing the job, but it's leading people, and they find that really difficult and particularly if the people aren't as competent and aren't as smart as them, can create a lot of stress. So, I mean, one thing that I would start with with her um, is uh, acknowledging that those feelings of impatience and frustration she has are perfectly reasonable feelings to have. I think that's a normal thing. Right, so what frustration means, uh, frustration is a form of anger or related to anger. And what frustration means is your way is blocked. And so you want to move forward. And in her case, she wants to move forward quickly. And there's something in the way. Um, what, we, what I then might want to talk to her about is, you know, are you seeing that these people are in the way? Are they the problem? Uh, because maybe she's making some misassumptions about... Um, about their intentions, as you said earlier, and maybe she's misplacing that frustration. Maybe the thing to be frustrated about isn't the people, but it's that we don't have a shared understanding or that there's some learning that hasn't happened. So what is it that's really in the way? So frustration is a signal that there's something in your way. What is it that's really in the way? And... Thinking about that as, you know, not, instead of saying, hey, don't get frustrated, that's bad, saying, hey, that's great that you're frustrated, that's the appropriate feeling, but what are you really frustrated about? Okay. So let's say we have a deeper conversation with her, and the frustration, I mean, I'll give you twofold in this case. One is the manager of this group isn't doing the training that the manager should be doing and right. isn't 
talking with people about the ways in which their ideas will or won't work. It, it just isn't doing that kind of development with them that should happen. Um, and equally, the organization isn't structured in a way that makes all of this as transparent as it needs to be. You know, you, the matrix stuff can often get in the way. Yeah. All right. So we get that she's frustrated, that that means that the way is blocked, um, that that's an appropriate response, and that some of the issues are hers, her impatience, and some of it are not hers. Yeah. Now what? Well, let's go back to our three-step process, okay? So we've, we've done the awareness piece, okay? And we know something about what she's feeling and why she's feeling it and how she's reacting to those feelings. That's, it. That's that step one, awareness. Step two, options, intention. What, what are some different options? So can we identify three or four or five or ten options of how she could respond in this situation instead of reacting? So in our awareness phase, we learned that you know, what happens is she feels frustrated, and so she pushes. That's her pattern. And she directs, and she tells people what to do, and she doesn't listen. <laughs> you know? And so are there any alternatives? What else could you do when you feel th- that frustration? And um, it's important not just to have... You know, well, I could get frustrated or not get frustrated. I could yell or be quiet. No, let's, let's get creative here. Let's identify multiple options. And then the last piece of it is really the kicker, which is about purpose, which is, okay, well, what is it that you really want to accomplish? What's your real goal? Not just in this one meeting, maybe not even just in this year, but what's your real goal? What's your long-term goal? And do you need others to achieve that? And, you know, in this case, maybe she's told us, uh, you know, I want to be a trustworthy leader. I want to be a change maker. I want to make things better in this organization. I want to empower people. I don't know. You know, there's some purpose ideas that are percolating here. And then the question would be, okay, so of those many options that we've identified, which option is going to move you towards purpose? And the reason that's so powerful is when we simply say, hey, you know, you shouldn't bully people. Um, she goes, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. But there's no, like, there's no real need to change. But if we could connect it to purpose, and so she could really see a new option that was more aligned with her own reason for being on the planet, she's much more likely to take that action. I like this. So there's the notion of acknowledging that the frustration is a very reasonable one. Yeah, okay? emotions are just perfectly data. perfect. And then to <laughs> recognize that what that means is you're feeling blocked. And what is it that you're feeling blocked about? We've listed those. And now the next is to say your typical response has been to push people or direct people or yell at people. Give me, and I love the notion that you say three to ten other ways that you could possibly respond. Now, let me pause on that one and say, help me generate some. So, I get that she could take a breath and not say anything. I get that she could... um, Ask a question. Ask a question. What else? She could um, point out a uh, uh, feeling that somebody else is having. She could name a feeling she's having. She could uh, ask people to look at the situation in a different way. She could um, draw a picture instead of using words. She could um, uh, ask uh, somebody uh, to walk around the building with her. 
and uh, help her think through uh, different ways of uh, responding. She, you know, there's so many, there's so many options, and I have no idea if any of those would be good, but I know there are many options. All right, so I like what you just did there, which is expand out beyond the two or three that I could think about immediately and probably that she could think about to a much broader set. Because when I get a long list, a brainstorm set of possibilities, then I can go back and say, given my purpose, which of those are the ones that are going to work right now or in these kind of situations? Nice, nice framework. I think often people are reacting because they feel stuck because they don't see another option. And so expanding the options is a really critical piece of being less reactive and more intentional. Okay. So it's the range of options that allow us to be more intentional and to connect with our grand scheme purpose. Yeah. Fabulous. The the other thing that happens here, Wanda, is that when we're doing this kind of thinking, we're we can think about the emotional side of it. We can think about the rational side of it. We can put those things together. And so instead of having this kind of immediate uh, unconscious reaction, we're instituting a process for a little bit of a pause. And this uh, applying consequential thinking that I mentioned earlier, which is about stepping back for just a moment, saying, well, you know, before I step forward, what is it that I really want to have happen? That is fabulous. So, and that is the hallmark of what emotional intelligence is really about, tuning into the data and being able to use that data to redirect um, your intention, your actions. Josh, it's fabulous having you with us today. Thank you very much for being a guest. Oh, it is my pleasure. All right. I appreciate the opportunity, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Fabulous. Much appreciated. Next week, we're going to continue with um, this emotional intelligence series, and I'm going to be talking to Janine Darling, who's an executive and entrepreneur, and we're going to focus on how she has learned to use emotional intelligence in her work, both inside corporations as an entrepreneur. Josh, as I listen to this one today, I think the thing that fascinates me the most is how strong your model is from moving from awareness to the options and to the purpose and connecting those three together is a very straightforward process that helps us get better and better and better with the emotional data that's present in the world. So again, thank you very much. And we My hope pleasure. you join us for the next following series. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.